Well, there's a phrase that we picked up a few years ago. It says, everything rises and falls upon, everything rises and falls on the quality of our relationships. I really do believe that to be true. Relationships are, a, a, they generate so much within us, and they need to be healthy. Our series, Relationomics, is talking about God's, God's plan for relational prosperity. God has a plan for our relationships to be healthy, and we want to follow that. And so I defined relationomics as follows, the study that deals with the development, understanding, and practice of healthy relationships. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about. And last week, or two weeks ago, I talked to, uh, started with relational health, just kind of the general ideas of relationships through Scripture. Last week, uh, Jeremiah did an amazing job talking about prosperous parenting. And we had a little bit of a glitch because there was uh, some copyright infringements that it was pulled down off of YouTube, but Adam saved us and got it back up. So if you didn't happen to be here, haven't listened to the message on prosperous parenting, I want to encourage you to do so. Really, really, really good. Today, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about the single life, the single life. And I really believe that God has something very significant for us, for all of us, whether we are single or not. So I'm going to do a little survey real quick. How many, how many of you have ever been single? Every, every one of us have. Now, and now here's one more. How many of you know somebody who is single? Okay, all right, we're all on the same page. So there's something that God has to say to all of us this morning. Marcy and I have been married for 43 years, 4 months, 26 days, and 18-ish hours, okay? So, yeah, yeah, it's it, really, it's all on her. She's really the champion in this whole thing. And so let me just add one more. I have been, I was single, I was single, ready for 20 years, 11 months, 16 days, and 14-ish hours. Now, if you're doing the math, that basically equates to my age today. So what that says is, I've never really been single. I was single for like two years. Graduated from high school and two and a half, well, three years later I was married. So I don't know much about the single life. So hear me, I am no expert. I don't have any, really, a lot to offer when it comes to being single. But here's something I've discovered. There is no lack of information available on the single life. I'm just going to say it this way. Oh my goodness. There is so much out there. Some's good, some not so much. But the scripture has something to say about the single life that's really powerful. So I want to be able to share that with you this morning. In 1950, there were only 22% of the American public were single. 22% in 1950. In 1960, it was estimated that 72% of the American public were married. So you can see the statistics didn't change much over that 10-year period. But today, estimates range somewhere between 45.2 and 50.2 of the population of America is single. That equates, you ready for this, to 148 to 165 million people are single in the U.S. That's a lot of folks. And recently, in 2018, Tinder, which is a kind of a dating website, 18 to 25-year-olds, a thousand were surveyed by Tinder, and Tinder discovered that there were ready 72% of those 18 to 25-year-olds want to be single. They want to now they may not be always single, but they want to be single. So you see what I learned from this? Because I'm not an expert. What I learned from this is that singleness is a thing. 
And as your pastor, as your pastor, we need to talk about it. We need to look at it from a scriptural and biblical perspective. And I believe that God can help us because in those single relationships, I believe God would be honored when they're healthy. Those relationships in the single life need to be as healthy as they are in the family life and in the married life. So that's what we want to talk about. In preparation, I, I, as I, kind of, I think I kind of alluded to, I came across a lot of information, some great articles, and I read one particular article written by Dr. Lisa Firestone. It was in a psychology journal, and it was, it was a really good read. The title of, her, of this article was, Why Am I Still Single? With a question mark. Why am I still single? Eight reasons people often stay single. And then she offered a variety of things. It was a really good read, some very insightful things. But at the end of that article, as many of those kinds of articles do, they give opportunities for a comment section. And so there were over 300 comments that had been added to her article. And I want to tell you, I didn't read all of them, but the ones, the ones that I read, my heart was broken in what I was reading. Let me just share just four or five of them, just snippets of what was read on this comment section. I've been single for quite some time. I don't know whether it is my personality or if I'm not good looking. I'm so lonely. Another person said, I, I don't really have a friend. No one to hang out with. I really think it's too late for me. Some days I wish I could just go to sleep and never wake up again. I feel like I'm taking up space on this planet. Another person said, I dread get-togethers. Family, friends want to know why I'm single and what's wrong with me. Another person said, maybe some people are just unlovable, unattractive, and wind up alone despite their efforts. Maybe it, it won't bother me one day. And one more those voices are continuously killing me from the inside. You're a loser. You're a failure. You'll live single for the rest of your life. Somehow I accept the fact that I'm actually living my life like a loser. I am a failure. I want to tell you something. That broke my heart. I don't, I don't know if you might feel the same if you're single today, or maybe when you were single, maybe you felt a little bit of that, or anyone listening online this morning may feel that way. That I don't know. However, even though those sound extreme, if, if there's one person in this room or one person watching online that can relate even slightly with these individuals. And I can offer a different view. I can bring some clarity. I can bring some hope from God's word. That's what I'm hoping to do today. And the reason we asked a moment ago if we've ever been single, all of us have been at some point. Some of us are single now by choice. Some of us are single again. I understand all of that. But every one of us knows someone who is. And it might be in a very desperate place to where your life or my life can have an incredible impact and influence in their life and point them to the hope is in Christ. 
hope that we find in God's word. And while I may not be an expert on the single life, I know someone who is. His name was Paul. Paul was a single man. And he wrote extensively uh, to the churches of the first century. And out of his life and experience, we see some really extraordinary counsel and, and clarity given to the single life. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, by, kind of really by way of introduction. Now, let me give you a little disclaimer. I didn't do this first service, but I will this service. This is a little different for me because there's a, there's a, few, there, there's a few more lists connected to this message than I would normally do. So bear with me, but I believe they'll be very helpful in kind of giving you some tools to navigate the single life, but also not just those of us in the room that are single. It's also going to help all of us regardless of our status, single or married. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me set it up first. As I've said on numerous occasions, when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, he was helping this church overcome some challenges. They had challenges at a variety of levels. When he gets to chapter 7, he is answering some questions to the unmarried people within the congregation of Corinth. But not only the unmarried, he also talks to the married because there was a faction at the church in Corinth who said that it was a sin to be married and have an intimate life together as a married couple. And Paul says, no, that's... That's not right. So Paul's correcting them. So now we look at chapter 7, verse 25. Now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, this is really not just to women but to all the unmarried. It would be an, an, an okay application of his words. I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. But let me say this. Dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who, you, those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know it, it will soon pass away. All, I, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Some incredible wisdom from Paul. And so there, there are some things here that are really unique. There are two, two things that are less and two things that are more. Now, I didn't put these in your notes for you, but you'll see them. Uh, Paul mentions that one who is single has less stress, has less stress. Now, the, the point is, it doesn't mean that within the single life there isn't stressful things. That's not the point. You're dealing as one person. I get it. So there's stress there. But it's less stress if you have to deal with just yourself, as it were. And that's what Paul's referencing. There's just less stress. The second is that there's, you can have less trouble. 
less trouble. I love, I love what Paul says. He says, those who get married at this time will have troubles. Now, can I just tell you, marriage is not like without its challenges. Can I get a good amen from the married folks in the house? It's not without challenges. The single life is not without challenges. But Paul is comparing the two, and he says, look, there's just less trouble. When you have less to be concerned about, there's just less trouble. And he qualifies it. Earlier, he said, because of the present crisis, which could mean the persecution of the church, but most likely he's saying, because the church wasn't under intense persecution in Corinth at this particular time when he wrote it, he's most likely saying, just understand, stuff's coming your way. Okay, Something's going to happen. So there's less stress and there's less trouble. Then he also says, a single person can have more impact. Can have more impact. Why? Because of the dedication of their life. And that's the fourth one, more, more devotion. So with the time being short before the coming of the Lord, there's greater opportunity for impact. Yes, Jesus is coming back. And you can have more devotion. You can devote yourself greater to the things of God. Why? Because you don't have the distractions. You don't have the the, the struggles or the troubles. You don't have the stresses. So what I would... What I would conclude from what Paul is saying, you ready for this? Being single is more desirable for a Christian than being married. So Paul's saying. Then you say, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not so sure I agree with that. And you say, okay, but understand this. So if Paul is actually saying this, is should, should I not be married? No, that's not what Paul said in the text, did he? He said, if you're married, stay married. If you're single, it's okay. There are good things connected to the single life. And often, we don't talk about that very much. We only look at the benefits of, and we don't address the benefits of the single life. I don't know, maybe, the people I referenced earlier from those comments, I don't know that they would agree with that. And I, I really do understand it. So here's some assumptions, I guess you could say, about kind of where you might be in your single life or what we, can, what we can conclude. There are four of them. The first one is this. You may, all, you may be single always. That's Now, can I just tell you exactly how I wrote it in my notes? Here's what I wrote in my notes. That's hard for me to even say. So I, I, I labor over that. Because my desire as your pastor is that you have the life that you've always hoped for and that God has for you. That's my hope for you. And it's hard for me to say that, but the truth is you might always be single. Our daughter, Amanda, she got married when she was 32. Up until that time, she'd had you know, a few relationships here and there, some more serious than others. She finally got to the place where she said, she, was, she said, she was tired of relationships, she was tired of dating. This is, she, this, I don't like, I don't want this anymore. And she said, I'm okay being single. She came to that conclusion and she said, if I never get married, I never get married. I'm just going to invest in the lives of my nieces and my nephews and, and the friends that are around. I'm just, I'm just going to throw myself into that. And we were, as her mom and dad, we were thinking, okay. You know, she's good with it. She's good with it. And I, I applaud her for that. 
It's a hard decision to come to. That's a hard place to be. But she determined, I'm going to be okay with that. There's a man by the name of Albert Sue. This is what he wrote. He said, dignity and personhood come not from marriage or progeny, which are descendants, but from identity in the kingdom of God. I want you to understand, your identity and my identity has nothing to do with our marital status. Nothing. It has to do with whom we, to whom we belong. We belong to the king of kings. You, whether you are married or whether you are single, you are a son and a daughter of the king. When I was a kid, there's one of my favorite songs I used to sing. I used to sing with my mom. Well, we sing, all of our family sing. So, but I used to sing a song. I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows in my veins. That's to whom you belong. You belong to Jesus. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 says, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Hallelujah. I, love, I, I know I use a lot of songs. It's been my life forever, so I just use it. So forgive me. I, no, don't forgive me. I don't care. It's all good. There's a group of, uh, there's a worship symposium called People in Songs, and they did a song a few, uh, a few months ago, earlier in 2019. It's just, the title of the song is A New Name Written Down, and it's, it's, so, it's so good. And the bridge of the song says this. Are you ready? I love it. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. And they do about eight times. I'm telling you, by the time they get to number eight, you're going, I belong to Jesus. So don't ever forget that you belong to Jesus. While you may always be single, you belong to God. Your dignity and your identity is not found in your marital status. The second, the second thing, second conclusion or assumption is that you're fiercely loved by God. God loves you. Make no mistake of how much you're loved by God. Sometimes we may not, as, as his extensions, do a particularly good job of expressing how much God loves you through our, through our responses, but we should do better. But the truth remains is that you are fiercely loved by God. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, I have loved you, my people. I, I love that. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting with an unfailing love, I have drawn, I have drawn you to myself. The third assumption is that <laughs> you are right where God wants you. Now that may be a challenging one to embrace, but there's nothing more true that I can tell you. Every season of our life, whether that season lasts for a day or it lasts for a lifetime, we're right where God wants us. When I surrender myself to him, I surrender all of myself to him. My, my, my present, my past, my present, and my future is all in the hands of God. It might be hard to grasp, but remember, God does everything well. He doesn't do anything second uh, in, a, in a second position. If you're single, if you are single, you're in the best possible position. 
If you are single, you're in the best possible. That's what Paul said. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord determines their steps. God is the one who has you where you are. God does. And the fourth assumption is that marriage isn't better or worse than singleness. It's just different. It's just different. You know, you've probably heard this. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. No, it's not. It's just different grass. It's not greener. It's, not, it's just different grass. And that's so very true. Singleness. And like, understand this. Go back and read the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In verse number 7, Paul talks about singleness. Are you ready for this? As a gift from God. And if it's a gift from God, hey, I love it. God, it's a gift I'm going to receive. I'm going to embrace that gift. So let me summarize everything by what I, here's a phrase, ready? You can change the way you think about being single by changing the way you think about being single. One more time, you can change the way you think about being single by changing the way you think about being single. Marriage isn't a isn't the perfect place. That's not it. A different job is not the perfect place. A different relationship is not the perfect. No, there's something, and this is the, what I want to spend the remainder of our time together today talking with you, is about contentment. Because that's the real key. Whether married or single, it's contentment. And once again, Paul helps us. And I love the fact that it's Paul who's talking about contentment. He's a single guy, but not only is he single, when he's talking about contentment, he's doing so in a jail cell. Now, I don't know. I really haven't been in it. Well, i kind of been in a jail cell. And it wasn't because I was just wanting to be curious about it. I was actually there. I've told that story before, and I won't tell that story again. No, not now. Not now. For another day. For another day. So you got to come every week to hear these things. You just got to. It's the way it works. So look at with me. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4. It's a great passage. And in fact, before I do that, just the word is contentment. The word in the Greek, that's the, that's the language of the New Testament. The word in the Greek contentment means to be self-sufficient. But what even adds greater weight to that word is to the Greek culture. You ready for this? It was the most, they considered contentment the most valuable asset for a wise person. The most valuable asset for a wise person. That's really significant. Contentment. Philippians 4, verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you, at last, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. There are four, there are four different thoughts about contentment I want to leave with you. First is this. Contentment isn't produced by a change of status. Contentment is not produced by a change of status. Now, what, to what am I referring Paul says this. He says, you renewed your concern for me. 
And he says, I'm glad you did it. What is he talking about? Later, earlier in, in the book of Philippians, and even later, he talks about a gift that was brought. It was a financial gift brought to Paul. That's the concern of which he speaks. The church had gotten together and gotten some finances to help Paul relieve the conditions that he was experiencing in prison. Okay, now that's, that's a really good thing. But interestingly enough, when Paul mentions it, he says he's very clear. His, connect, his contentment's not connected to that. He's glad that they did it, but it didn't affect whether he was content or not. Because they were trying to change his status, and actually it would have improved his conditions, it didn't have anything to do with being contented. Why? Because contentment is a matter of one's heart. It's not a matter of whether I receive something from someone else. That's not content. It's not because of the season that I'm in. It's not because of the relationship that I'm in. It's not because of the job that I have. It is not, and I could go on and on and on. Contentment is not found in any of that. Contentment is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read from the Amplified. It's a wonderful passage. The writer of Hebrews is talking about being contented financially. Okay, But I want you to look at the, word, the words he uses. Because I think we can broaden its understanding. Verse 5 says, let your character, your moral essence. Okay, stop. Character and moral essence. Where, is that, where does that come from? That's inside, isn't it? This is internal. Your character and moral essence, your inner nature, to be free from the love of money and to shun greed. Be financially ethical. Be, being content with what you have. Now, okay, that's good. For he has said, now listen to, what, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. For he has said, speaking of God, I will never under any circumstances desert you nor give you up nor leave you without support. Nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. There is, a, there is this confirmation that God is giving us that he will be with us, regardless of what's going on around us. So he's saying, be content with what you have over here. Remember, I am with you. Now listen to this last phrase. It's just awesome. So, we take comfort and are encouraged, and we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently say, the Lord is my helper in time of need. I will not be afraid. See, our contentment is not based on all the stuff. Our contentment is based on the relationship we have with God and the assurance that he has given us that he will be with us always, regardless of what happens. It's powerful. Your character, your moral essence, your inner nature, your heart, that's where contentment is found. This is where the self-sufficiency and self-satisfaction is found. You see, I wrote this, this uh, last night as I was in front of so it's not in your notes, but it's just that contentment is not a destination. Contentment is not a destination. It, 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 it's a matter of your heart. It's not somewhere where you arrive. It's not something that, No. It's a matter of heart. Second thing is that contentment is learned. It's learned. Last year, 2000, two, excuse me, two years ago, 2018, there were 42.1 42 billion views on YouTube 
to find out how to do how to do something. How-to videos. 42 billion. When I read that, I went, what? Then I went, oh, yeah, of course. Because I do them too. I did one yesterday. How to make fried rice. So I went on YouTube. How to make fried rice. Here it came. I had all kinds of opportunities to figure out how to make fried rice. So I picked one. This little girl, she was amazing. She was so cute. She said, oh, this is so good with this wonderful Chinese accent. It was just adorable. And she said, oh, it looks so good. Look at the color of it. I'm going, okay, I'm getting hungry already. But I learned how to make fried rice in less than six minutes. How to? Now, why, is, why do I tell about that? Because we all have a natural, if we don't know how to do something, what do we do? We learn how to do it. We figure out ways to learn it. Contentment's no different. Now, I understand it sounds a little contradictory when I'm saying it's a matter of one's heart. I get that. It is a matter of one's heart. But you know, there comes a point when there are so many things pressing against us that our contentment is stripped from us. And we don't know how, under the conditions that we're in, to remain or to be content. So what do we need to do? Paul says, I learned how to do this. So it tells me if he learned how to do it, he didn't have YouTube. He figured it out. God helped him learn it. So I'm going to give you five things on how to learn to be content. The first, I've got to move quickly. The first one is be grateful always. Paul says, Ephesians 5, always giving thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When's the last time you just said, thank you, Lord, that I'm single? I know, it got a little quiet. When's the last time married couples you said, thank you, Lord, that I'm married? When's the last time in that crummy job that you're in, thank you, Lord, for my job? Thank you for my boss. You say, come on, dude, you're going off the rails here. Always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second is don't make comparisons. It's really easy to compare ourselves to others and other relationships. But if we don't compare ourselves, we're going to learn how to be content. Number three, I didn't put the word declare in, and I should have. Declare, enough is enough. Enough is enough. What I have is okay. It's enough. And, and understand something. You say, how does that work within relationships? Here's how it works in relationships. God is your father. Jesus is, a, is one who sticks closer than a brother. He loves you fiercely. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When everybody else walks away, God remains. Enough is enough. I declare that. John D. Rockefeller was the richest man of his day. He, he was asked this question. How, <laughs> it says, how much money would it take to satisfy a rich man? John D. Rockefeller said, just a little bit more. And that's exactly where we live our lives. There's always something else. Enough is enough. Number four is focus on the eternal. We need to get our eyes sometimes off of what is seen and on to what is unseen. The eternal is where we will, we're, we're going to spend eternity, as it were. Focus on the things that last, the influence that you can have in the, in the lives of those around you that will far outlive you to generation after generation beyond you. Focus on the eternal. And number five is trust in God. Trust in God. I need to be reminded that God has my best interest always at, in mind. And he is, he is able to make all grace abound to me. He will provide for all my needs, including relational ones. 
He will always be with me and he will give me peace at every turn. God will be my peace. In fact, John 14, verse 27, reading again from the Amplified, Peace I leave with you, Jesus said, my own peace I now give and bequeath to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, I love this last phrase. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed, and do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. Be at peace. Be at peace. Contentment is learned. Number three, contentment is not circumstantial. It's not circumstantial. And Paul would be, really, he gets this, and he's in prison. So he understands by circumstances. He said, I, I understand what it is to be plenty, to have plenty and to be, uh, and to be, have nothing. He said, I get it. I get it. He was content. Let me just give you a snapshot of my last 14 days. Okay? A longtime friend passed away suddenly. Had a great service in Fullerton celebrating Journey Church's first year. Some administrative challenges this past uh, couple of weeks, although normal, it required a lot of attention. Phone calls. Emails, conversations, typical week of meetings and preparation for a weekend, the death of a family member, met with a wonderful couple on two different occasions preparing to get married, prayed with a little guy getting ready to have surgery, had to figure out what to cook for myself in Marcy's absence. So what do you say all of that? You know what it's called? It's called life, isn't it? It does this. It just is up, it's down, it's everywhere. You know what that's called? It's called circumstance. Circumstances change every moment of every day. It changes. But when contentment is deep in your heart and we have learned how to be content, circumstances will not rob us of the contentment that God has placed within us. No matter, no matter what comes our way, sometimes it's easier than others. Sometimes the circumstances aren't, you don't even notice them, but other times we're buried. But Paul says, I have learned. And I've also known that whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm hungry, it has nothing to do with whether I'm content. What a powerful truth. And in my contentment, if my contentment is linked to my circumstances, I will never be content. And some of us in our single lives, we have gotten to that. If I don't have a change, if I don't have this, if I don't have this, no. Separate the two. Separate the two. Let God do in your heart what he wants to do. Bring contentment and let him determine what your steps will be. Because he will. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 5. Listen to Paul. i got to read this. This is so good. And I know I'm, I'm getting a little close to time. I apologize. 2 Corinthians 6. Paul says, we've been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, Endured sleepless nights, gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity and understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we're well known. We live close to death, but we're still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Amen. Wow. You know what that's called? Contentment. That's contentment. And lastly, contentment is Christ-focused. 
Paul ends first, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. If you're single this morning, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. If you're married this morning, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. If you are in a bad situation, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. It's Christ-focused. It's Christ-focused. Jude 24, verses 24 and 25 are two of my favorite verses in the New Testament. I don't know how many times I have read these at memorial services and funerals for believers. I love these words. I love these words because it speaks of the focus of Christ. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, both now and forevermore. Amen. Jesus is the center. He's the one that keeps us from stumbling. He's the one our focus is on. He is the one who presents us before God. He is the one who can give us the strength to walk through the season of life that we are presently in and any season of life that would come afterwards. Grateful for that. It's Christ-focused. Washington Post. Stand with me if you would. The Washington Post included a statement from a single man. I think it's a single guy. I don't know. I'm going to say it was. It sounds like it, the way this guy is talking. This is what he said. <laughs> he said, I've always, I've always, I always, he's thinking of being single. Always have been. Always will be. People like to say that bingo, being single is better than being in a bad relationship. But for me, it's also better than being in a good one. Then he said this, single life is my most meaningful life. You know, I don't know if that guy's a believer. I don't know. I do know this. He's content. That says a lot. So I'm just going to walk through these seven bullets very quickly. And I want you to write them down. You can take a picture of it if you like to. But if you're single this morning, and I think all of us, but specifically, as we consider putting into practice the following things, first is this. Connect with God. In the single life, connect with God. Let God be the most important part of your life, beyond, beyond anything else. Secondly is build deep friendships. What an opportunity to invest in others and be invested in. The third, the third thing is to commit to purity. And I can say that for the single person among you, but I can say that to the married person, to the younger, to those in middle age, whatever age we are, commit to being pure before God. God will bless you. You say, Gary, I can't do it. You don't understand the temptations of the single life. I may not, but I know this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's, that's the bottom line. I can do it with Christ as my strength. Also, Live with passion and purpose. Be passionate about life. Be passionate about investing in others. Be passionate. Live with purpose. There's nothing greater in this life than to have a purpose beyond ourselves. And then, what also encourage, serve others. Serve. What a way to invest. 
what a way to live is a life of service. And then also be the best version of yourself. You know, I talked about those YouTube videos. Learn a new skill. Go back to college and learn Spanish. I have two board members who are dealing with that very issue. They're learning Spanish. I love it. In other words, be the best version of yourself. Do something that you might not otherwise have done. Learn a new skill. Do some things that you, but be the best version of yourself. And then lastly, be content. Be content. So I leave you to this. You can change the way you think about being single by changing the way you think about being single. Let God do that. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Bless these moments as we come together and worship in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said a little while ago, all of us have been single. We know someone who has been. And we're talking about contentment. This is something that is really important for me to share every week. So I just asked the question, do you know Jesus? You see, if contentment is truly a matter of the heart, that's where it has to start. Jesus has to reorient our hearts. He takes, Scripture would say it this way, he takes a heart of stone and he makes it into a heart of flesh. Jesus changes those, those rock-hard places that we are and he makes it pliable that's contentment but he has to do that so this morning our prayer team I'm going to ask them to join me at the front if you don't know Jesus today and I say you say Gary that's a little intimidating I know it is but you know something what's the best thing best decision you ever make would be to walk forward and have a conversation with one of our prayer team just say I want to know Jesus today they'll lead you into that relationship but I'm going to ask you this question. And I'm going to make it really broad because you'll, you'll see why. If you have ever, at any point, at any time in your life, ever been discontent, ever, about anything, would you lift your hand with me? Because I have been. At least one time in my life, I'm sure, probably a dozen times. Yeah, all of us have. So contentment is an issue that all of us wrestle with. Because I'm going to tell you something that is profound. When you walk out this door, your circumstances are going to change. It's going to change. Before this day is over, I'm going to make another promise to you. Your circumstances are going to change a half a dozen times. What are you going to do with it? Is it going to strip away your contentment? It's less about the single life and more about where our hearts are. You see, it's a matter of the heart, but it can be learned. It's not based on circumstance. And you can be content. You can be content. Why? Because Jesus gives you the strength to be content. So if you lifted your hand a minute ago, lift your hand again because we're going to pray. Jesus, you see our hands. Take your other hand and put it across your heart. Lord, we just start with this. We surrender ourselves to you once again. Take this rock-hard, stony heart and make it soft. Lord, let contentment flow out of who we are. 
deep inside. Change our hearts, oh God. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us. Let us put into practice some things to learn to be content. I pray, Lord, that our circumstances, while they will change, I pray that our focus will remain on one thing and one thing alone, and that is Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Say that with me. I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. Let it be so. Let that be the prayer. Let that be the cry of our heart. Let it be that which fuels us to be and remain content. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.